All right. Well, hey, I hope you guys had a good week, um, had a nice Sunday to do other things like shovel snow, and that was fun. Um, I had kind of a crazy week. Um, I had one of those weeks where I'm like reminded that I'm really not a very good Christian. Um, I don't know if you have ever had those weeks before. I know that's maybe weird because I'm a pastor, but it's true. Like, I'm not a very good Christian. In fact, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd hate to think what kind of a Christian I would be. Like, it would just get ugly. I had one of those weeks where it's like, I just, you know, I'm trying to be godly and spiritual, and it was like, fail, 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 fail. And, and uh, one in particular stuck out of my mind. I was at Starbucks on Friday. That in and of itself was, was fine. Uh, but I was at Starbucks, and, um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm on the phone with our home warranty company. If you, any of you have a home warranty. So a couple, like last year, about this time, we had multiple things go wrong in our house, and it was you know, just about killed us financially. So we thought, okay, you know, let's get a home warranty. And of course, we've never had to use it for like the next year because you never need it, you know, when you have it. And, um, and then this week we had uh, a leak in our kitchen under our kitchen sink. And so I called and I discovered that it is like this insane bureaucracy and it's, it's just maddening, you know? And so I started on Monday and by Friday, I'm still on the phone with them. And it's like, I just need a plumber, it's probably not that hard. Like, I just need a plumber. I, I'm not asking for much here. And the calls kept getting dropped. It was like their call center was terrible, and the people were really nice, but every time they tried to transform for me, you know, in the, in the system, they dropped my call, and they never called me back, and it was, just, it was just so frustrating. And so I'm sitting there in Starbucks. I'm getting so angry. I'm getting so irritated. I'm like, don't you know that you're wasting my time right now? Don't you know that you're wasting my money? Man, I've got more important things to do, like write this sermon. And I, and I just had this moment of clarity. It was like, okay, um, something's really wrong here. You know, it's like, I'm supposed to be this pastor and I'm supposed to be following Jesus. And, and in the grand scheme of things, I mean, it's a leak in the kitchen. It's not going to matter. It's not that big of a deal. I know for some of you are like, oh, that's, that's kind of cliche. And maybe some of you are like, no, that's dumb. But, but look, as believers, not just as a pastor, but like as Christians— as followers of Jesus Christ, this is the reality. The reality is that, that this life is not it for us. This isn't all there is. There's this eternity out there. There's this kingdom that we're longing for. And the grand scope of things, when you consider all of that, like this momentary affliction, as Paul talks about it. Like my kitchen sink. The guy who cuts us off in traffic. Like these moments, I mean, our entire life, it's a drop in the bucket. It's just a shadow of what's to come. Like, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to recognize that it's not about right now, it's about eternity. You know, and that, that's so much of what it means to be in exile. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, this is what Paul preached on, Jeremiah 29, and, and this moment where, you know, the nation of Israel, they have been taken out of, of Jerusalem, and out of, out of Judea, and they are being, they're being exiled to Babylon, and when they get there, the prophet Jeremiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God speaks to them, and, and he doesn't say, okay, you're in Babylon, don't touch anything, right? Just keep your hands to yourself. He doesn't say that. And he doesn't say, well, just dig in and become Babylonian. He says, no, hey, remember who you are. You're God's people, but in the meantime, have families, get married, plant crops, be a blessing to the city, and through that, you yourselves will be blessed, but see, the key here is don't forget who you are. Remember who you are. You're, you're waiting for this kingdom. You're waiting to go back to Israel. And that becomes the paradigm for you and me. 
that as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're exiles. And this world right here that we're living in right now, this is not our home. We're waiting for this kingdom that's going to come. We're, we're supposed to live for this eternity that is a reality for us. And we get so wrapped up in these small perspectives, this small view of the world. You know, it's like my kids. Um, I've got small kids, and if I was to leave my kids for like a day, okay, they, they only think about today. They only think about right now. And so if I wasn't there, it's like they wouldn't brush their teeth. You know, they wouldn't eat their vegetables. They wouldn't, you know, they'd watch too much TV. They wouldn't get along, right? Because they're only thinking about right now. And so my job as a parent is to come in and say, okay, guys, you know, I might not put it in this, this language, but it's really to train them for a lifetime. So you need to brush your teeth because you're going to want those teeth in 50 years, right? And, and you need to eat those vegetables because you're going to want a healthy dietary tract in 50 years, And you need to learn how to share. You need to learn how to get along with people. See, my perspective is much bigger than theirs. They're wrapped up in like, right now, I want that toy, and I don't want to eat that, and I do want to do this. And I'm saying, hey, guys, you've got to play for the long game. And this is what God is telling us. This is what God's Word is constantly reminding us of again and again and again, that this is not your home. You've got to play for the long game. You've got to play for eternity. Don't just get wrapped up in this small, small picture. And one of the greatest obstacles, I was thinking about this this week just in preparation for this morning, you know, one of the greatest obstacles to living for eternity, for having that kind of perspective, what nails us down in this world, in this life right now, so often is our money. So often it's our money. Now some of you are like, oh man, he's going to talk about money. Don't leave. We've already locked the doors. You can't. (laughs) I'm just teasing. They're locking them right now. Um. No, listen, don't, don't freak out, because here, here's the deal. Let me tell you um, my heart in this. My goal is not, as, as we talk about money this morning, we're going to look through some different passages. My goal is not to make you feel guilty or to feel shame about having money, okay? That's not my goal. It's not my goal. In fact, I would say the exact opposite in one sense is that, that listen, money is a gift from God. Like if you're sitting there and you've got more than you need and you're able to invest it and save and all of that and you've, God has blessed you like that, man, praise God for that. That's fantastic. God has given that to you. That is a good gift, all right? So my, my goal is not to guilt you or to shame you like, oh man, you shouldn't have so much money. No, that's a gift from God, all right? So that's not my goal. My other not goal is that when you leave here, you would write us a check, okay? So, so I'm, I'm not, that's not what I'm aimed at. Now, if you do write us a check, there's two boxes right back. I'm just teasing. We'll use it for the kingdom. No, that's not my goal. Here, here's my goal. My goal is, and this is really the goal for this whole series, is that we would begin to think like exiles. What does that look like? If this is not our home, if we're exiles here, what does that mean for our money and how we use it? Because if we don't have that perspective, if we're only living for today— and this year, and the next year, maybe the next 50 years or the 60 years, instead of the, 60, the next 60,000 years, then, man, that is a bad investment. We're going to make poor decisions. This is what Jesus says in, in Matthew, Matthew 6, 19. You guys are probably familiar with this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, when we, our hearts naturally think about the right now. They naturally make poor decisions. We make poor investments, okay? So I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying that you shouldn't save. I'm not saying you shouldn't make wise investments with your money. But what I am saying is that if that's where your heart is, then that's, that's a problem, Like if that's where your treasure is, if you're living for that, just a little bit more, I just want to pad my account a little bit more. If that's where your treasure is, if that's your pursuit, then you're missing out. Not saying that you can't invest it, but what is your 401k going to matter in the next 10,000 years? See, that's a poor investment. Um, I think I've shared this story before, but my grandfather, uh, my family, my extended family is from Arkansas, and my grandfather, years ago, uh, his neighbor looked over the fence and said, hey, what's going on? Oh, not much, hanging out. Hey, listen, there's this investment that you should really get in on. Um, it's this guy named Sam Walton. It's called Walmart. I don't, you know, I think it's going to be really big. You should do that. The fact that I'm standing here right now shows you that my grandfather did not do that. <laughs> He was like, yeah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not really interested in that. That sounds like kind of a crackpot idea. And, and of course, you know, now I drive a used car. So, um, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. Listen, um, I love my grandfather so much. I love him so much. Um, I had the amazing, we were so close um, in the last three months of his life. Um, I got to hang out with him pretty much every day. I was basically like caring for him and I was at his bedside and helped him bathe and eat and all that kind of stuff. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then he went to be with the Lord um, about 15 years ago now. There is no way that he regrets not investing in Walmart today. Like, it's not even on his radar. He's not like, oh man, if only I'd invested in Walmart, I could have had millions. Like, he does not care. It doesn't matter. It was just this blip on the radar. It was nothing. It was a shadow. I mean, you can't take it with you. I like what, the way Paul says this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I mean, think about that for a second. Godliness with contentment. This sounds counterintuitive. That, that contentment could lead to gain. Because when I think about contentment, that sounds like somebody who doesn't go after anything. As a person who just kind of sits there and things go by and maybe you grab it as it floats, you know, in front of you. But you don't, you don't go after anything. You don't pursue anything. So how can there really be gain in that? But what Paul says is that godliness with contentment, man, there's gain in that. There's this spiritual wealth that comes through that, spiritual riches that come through that, that far surpasses anything that this world has to offer. Because what does he say? Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Paul's saying, don't waste your life collecting stuff that doesn't matter. Like, you didn't bring anything into this world. You didn't come out of your mother's womb with a credit card, right? Anything that you had, somebody gave to you when you showed up, okay? So maybe you were born into wealth, but you didn't show up and you had that. Somebody had to give that to you. And when you leave, guess what? You're going to have to take everything that you've collected and you've got to pass it on to somebody else. Somebody else is going to get it. You're going to get to take it with you. So everything that you've built, everything that you've saved, everything that you've earned, 
Man, it stays here, and you leave. And what's even better is that whoever you leave it with, they're probably going to waste it. They're going to do stuff with it that you didn't want them to do, and then they're going to make bad decisions with it, and it's all going to be for nothing. It's going to be for nothing. You didn't come with it. You can't take it with you. You've got to play for the long game. You've got to play for eternity. That's the good investment. Because when you, when you see your money in light of eternity, it changes the way you use it. It changes the way that you use it. Um, Paul, writing to, uh, to the Corinthians, he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Okay, so so hang there just for a second because there's actually three different churches in view in this passage. Okay, just to give you some context. So Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Okay, so this is a church in Corinth here. I've got a, here we go. Okay, so three different churches. I don't know how well you'll be able to see this. But Corinth is like right down here and Corinth is a big deal, okay? Corinth is like the Philadelphia or New York of its day. So Rome, it's part of the Roman Empire. Rome is pumping money into Corinth. Anybody who retires from the military and they've got all this money that they've saved up from all their conquests, like they're going and they're settling there. And then they're also getting money from Rome because Rome wants that to succeed. Plus, it's a major thoroughfare. So commercial trade is going on through there. And they've got this huge games that everybody comes out for. It's like the Olympics, only they don't call it the Olympics. Corinth is a big deal. It's a big deal. And, and because of that, the Corinthian church, as best we can tell from, uh, from the way Paul describes it, it's, it's a well-off church. These people have money. Maybe not all of them, but it's on the whole. This is a well-off church. But there's a second group of churches, and this is what he just mentioned, the churches of Macedonia, and that's up here. And these churches, and they've got nothing. They're dirt poor. They, they don't have any of that economic boom that's going down in Corinth. They're just hanging up there. They don't have anything. But then there's a third church that Paul's going to be referring to here, and that's the church way over here in Jerusalem. And at the time, so Corinth has a lot of money, and then Macedonia doesn't have any money, and then Jerusalem are literally starving to death because there's a famine. And so what's happened here is that Paul and Titus, they've gone around and they've talked to these different churches and they've gotten them to pledge gifts to Jerusalem to help that church out, to help those believers who are literally starving to death. And so what Paul's saying here is that this church in Macedonia, what he's going to say is they've given, but he's writing to Corinth because they haven't. Did you catch that? The church with nothing, they've given their gift, they made a pledge and they gave it. And then the church at Corinth they're kind of sitting on their hands. And so this is what Paul has to say to them. He says, I'm going to read this again. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So this is a grace that they're experiencing for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Did you catch that? Like they've got nothing They're in extreme poverty, and yet, because of the grace of God, has resulted in an overflow of wealth and generosity. Verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord 
and then by the will of God to us. See, this is this church in Macedonia. Like these churches, they, they've got nothing. They've got nothing that they can really offer. And Paul says, yeah, they decided we're going to give this much. And then, then they were like, you know what? Actually, that's, that's not enough. Can we give more than that? Can we give out of what we don't even have? I mean, we should be using this for ourselves by all wise standards, but we want to give more. Paul, is that okay? Listen, listen to this language. He begged Paul. Paul, we're begging you, please give us the favor of getting to give to somebody else. Just a little bit more, Paul. Can we give just a little bit more? <laughs> that is so contrary to the way our world works. I mean, I remember, you know, John D. Rockefeller. He's got that famous quote. Um, somebody asked him, how much is enough? I mean, this guy had more millions than any of us can possibly imagine. You know, one of the richest men, men ever in America. How much is enough? He gave a very, very profound answer. He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And this is what we buy into. It's like we somehow think that we're like right on the cusp of having what we need. Always. It's like we're always just right there. We just need a little bit more. If I could just get a little bit more, then I'd, I'd finally be happy. I'd finally have the life that I've always wanted. I'd finally have everything that I need. And then we get that and we go, actually, it's just a little bit more than that. And it never ends. It's like there's just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And they're like, man, I'm not asking for a little bit more. Can we give a little bit more? Will you give us that privilege, Paul? Let us give just a little bit more. Man, that is a paradigm shift that we have got to, to grab hold of. This idea that giving is not this burden, it's this gift. We want to just give a little bit more. It was a blessing for them. They were like, you know, Paul, how much do we have to give this time? Can't believe you're still asking us for money. Look how little we have. Go talk to that church in Corinth. Now it was a joy for them. And we've got to, we've got to recapture that. You know, this, this is a perspective that we have so lost, if we ever had it to begin with, that we've so lost in the American church. Um, it's, it's become our God-given right to have all of our needs met, to be comfortable, to have more than we want, more than we need. Um, and it's our money. It's our money. It's not anybody else's. I'm going to do with it what I want for me. So much so that, it, that the idea of giving becomes an obstacle to our happiness. It's like, man, I would give, but that, that would actually hurt me, and that's, that's, that's not going to make me happy. That's not going to help me out. When reality, reality, giving is this privilege. It's this gift. You, you ever think about the fact that not everybody is able to give? You ever think about that? I mean, there are people in this world who, they don't get the opportunity. They don't have the opportunity to give. But for most of us in this room, I'm willing to bet that that's not our situation. For most of us, man, it's, it's like this is this unique role that God has given to us. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you good gifts. I'm going to give you good things. I'm going to give you more money than you know what to do with. And then you get to be my dispensers of that blessing. You get to be my conduits of that money to other people. When, when I was growing up, I remember seeing these ads. You remember publishers clearing house sweepstakes? 
And they, you ever see this? And they show up at somebody's door with this giant check and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you know, and they're like, here's your giant check. Why has to be a giant check? I don't know, but it was really cool. I always wanted somebody to show up with a giant check at our house. That'd be so awesome. Um, but see, that's, that's our role. That's our role. For those of us who have more than what we need, God says, okay, you are my publisher's clearinghouse sweepstake. It's not your money to begin with. We're just stewards. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you this money and now you get to drive around and if only we had giant checks. We can go and we can give. I mean, this is, this is the privilege. This is the privilege of giving to other people because our money is meant for so much more than just us. Our money is meant for so much more than just the stuff that we want to use it for. And it's not bad stuff, Okay. You know, investing in education and clothes and cars and all that kind of stuff. Those are good gifts. I'm not saying that's it. But if that's all we're investing our money in, that is a waste. It's a waste. Our money is meant for so much more than that. It's meant to be a blessing to other people. And I know that so many of you get that. So many of you get that. Um, I, I don't want to stand up here and it's like, man, he's giving us such a hard time. I'm not trying to beat anybody down again. This is not about giving a guilt trip because so many, the generosity in this church is staggering to me. And so many of you give to this church, but not just to this church. You give to missionaries and ministries and organizations. And it's not just about how much you give. So many of you who give out of just what God has given to you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I praise God for that. At the same time, you know, Scripture warns us that just because we give, it doesn't mean our hearts are right. And you can't look at the bottom line and go, yeah, look, I gave all this money, therefore I must be generous, therefore I must be good with God. Like, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I could collect all of your tax statements, you know, in, in April or whatever, and, and I could look at all of them, oh, they, man, they gave 5%, 10%, 20%, and I still wouldn't know anything about your heart. And see, generosity, what it means to have that relationship with God that overflows into generosity, like that has very little to do with how much and everything to do with how you give and the motive for how you give. Um, a few years ago, a friend of mine, he, um, really wealthy guy, and we get lunch every once in a while, and he was Hindu. And uh, we were going for lunch one day, and, and in the conversation, I, I just got the sense, and he didn't come out and say it, but basically it was like, would I be his spiritual guru? Because, um, you know, he, was, he knew I was a pastor, and so I must be spiritual, and so he's going to get all this advice from me and, like, life advice. And so one of the first things he asked me, though, was how much money should I give? How much money do I need to give away? And I was like, Man, I don't know. I don't know how much money you should give. I don't think he was very impressed with that answer because he never asked me another one. But, but what I tried to explain to him was, I said, look, you know, this starts with a relationship with God. It starts with knowing him. And you're not going to make yourself right with God because you're able to give all this money. And he could have given a ton. Man, I could have said, man, you should give 30%. He probably would have done it. And it would have been millions but I was like, that's not going to change your relationship with God. It has to start with that. You can't command generosity. You can't prescribe it. I mean, this is what Paul's saying, actually. If you keep, keep reading in this passage, um, he comes to 
verse 8 here. He says, I say this not as a command. He says, look, I can't command you to be generous. I'm not going to command you to give because this is a, a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Generosity by its very nature can't be prescribed. It has to be this overflow of love. I mean, remember, remember the Pharisees. Um, you think about these guys. I mean, from the outward, everything you could see from the outside, these guys were incredibly generous. Incredibly generous. I mean, they tithe like crazy. They put the rest of us to shame. And they tithe everything right down to like the spices, but it never touched their hearts. Just the opposite. See, they were meticulous in their giving, but in reality, they were meticulous in their greed. They made sure they gave exactly what they should give and never anymore. See, generosity can't be prescribed like that. It's got to be this overflow, this overflow I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Like your love is real. And when your love is real, you will give. Because that's what Jesus did. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, this is the key verse right here. This is the key passage right here. This is what it all comes down to, that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, so that even though he had everything in the universe, the riches of heaven itself, he became poor so that you and I, we could become rich. I mean, this week I was, I was just sitting there thinking about this verse, and I tried to imagine Jesus sitting in the throne room of heaven. He's got the riches of heaven around him. He's got all these angels doing everything that he wants and they're worshiping him day and night, worshiping him, giving him praise. And he looks down on earth and he sees you and me and he's like, wow, they're messing up my creation. They're, you know, like killing each other. They're lustful, they're greedy. Really in rebellion, outright rebellion against me. Yeah, I'm gonna give up all of this for them. Are you kidding me? You gotta think, I, I just, I don't know if this is wrong, but I'm like, the angels are like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? They're not worth this. I mean, just put this into our world for a moment just to give us a better perspective of this. I mean, just think about like a billionaire, okay? Somebody's got billions of dollars. And, and at some point, like, they're like, okay, I'm going to give up my private jet and my private yacht and my, all my mansions. And I'm going to give up all the people who work for me. I'm going to give up all my millions. I'm going to give up all of that, and I'm going to go live in a sewer. Can you imagine that ever happening? Like, Mother Teresa is, like, the closest thing I come up with. Or maybe Batman. Because um, isn't that what he does? He, anyway, he's not real, right? I mean, it's a crazy idea. It's a crazy idea, but here is Jesus, okay? And we can't even begin to fathom the riches of heaven. Like the best we can do when you look at scripture is it kind of gives us these vague descriptions trying to describe just the wealth of heaven. We can't even imagine it. We can't even begin to wrap our heads around it. And he says, I'm gonna lay all that down so that I can come and I can live in abject poverty. I can be poor so that you can be rich and you can have all of that, all of that. How many of us have been willing to make that kind of a sacrifice. I'm not even talking about like giving up everything. I mean, how many of us have ever just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give up cable, and not just so I can save money, but I'm going to give up cable so that I can then fund something else that's helping other people. 
mean, how many of us would be willing? I mean, just think about that. Have you ever had that thought of like, man, if I just gave up Starbucks, cold turkey, I could support another missionary who's out there proclaiming the grace of Jesus to people who've never heard it. I mean, last year we, um, this is embarrassing, last year we did uh, rice and beans um, before, uh, before the missions week. You guys remember this? Some of you, if you're new, um, we, we took a week and everybody, we just asked people to commit to just don't eat meals, eat rice and beans, and the money that you save on meals, we're then going to give away to be a blessing to other people. And look, son, I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, that was a struggle for me. I helped plan the thing. And I was like, man, this is hard. I don't like doing this. It, it didn't help that I was living with a pregnant wife who did not crave wife, rice and beans, okay? That was not on her list of, of cravings, right? But, but it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And see, this, this is where we have to keep tabs on our hearts because greed is so subtle, isn't it? It's so subtle, you know, it's so easy to trick ourselves like the Pharisees to say, look, see, I'm giving. I'm giving exactly this much. I don't need to give more than that because those people, man, they've got money. They should give more, but not, not me. And so because of that, it's like I've got to constantly be leaning into Christ, finding ways to like release my heart from the temptation to believe that this world and this life and this money is all there is. See, it all starts... It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. I have to treasure him. Because when I treasure him, because he's treasured me, it it leads to this crazy um, chain reaction of giving. It, It leads, it's like he's the gift that keeps on giving. He's the gift that inspires all other gifts. In fact, if you keep reading, this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, okay? So he says, yeah, if you give this money, it's going to go and it's going to help feed people. That's a big deal. You're going to help keep people alive. You're meeting people's needs, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval. So by, by the approval of the people that you've just ministered to, by their approval, they will glorify God. He says, look, if you give this money, it's not just, you're not just feeding them. They're actually going to see what you've done and then they're going to praise God for that. They're going to, God's going to get more glory because you were generous, because you gave something away. Keep going. He says, because of your submission, so this is why, they see that you have submitted to God that comes from your confession of the gospel. See, it's being motivated by Christ. Christ's grace is the riches that in you know, infects our hearts so much so that we can't help but give it away. So because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all, the, all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Do you see what he's saying? He says, look, when you give when you give to somebody else out of what you've received from Jesus Christ, recognizing that in him you are rich beyond measure, then that's going to result not only in meeting their physical needs, you're meeting those physical needs, you're helping feed somebody, you're helping making this world a better place, but also it results in praise and glory to our God, but also it creates this bond between you and the person that you've given to. 
It's like, hey, you help me in this time of need. You love Jesus. Jesus loved you so much that out of that overflow, then you gave to me. Thank you for that. And then you say, I mean, you're right. Jesus did this for me. I love you like that. And it creates this bond between you of love and unity. See, and that is a picture of the kingdom, isn't it? That's a picture of the kingdom. That kingdom that we're longing for as exiles where every need will be met. There will be no sorrow, no hunger, no disease. Every need will be met. And also there will be praise to our heavenly Father, morning, noon, and night for eternity. Glory to our God. And we will live in perfect unity and love as the body of Christ. It's a picture of the kingdom that when we give, I mean, we're bringing a little taste of heaven right here. But it all starts with Jesus. See, he, he is the inexpressible gift. He has to be our treasure. And so can I just say, look, if, if that's not where you're at this morning, then that's as far as you need to go. Like, this is where you gotta camp out. This is where you gotta do some work. You gotta, you gotta search your soul. Listen, if Jesus is not your treasure, then it doesn't matter what you give. It doesn't matter how many checks you write. I mean, he, he is the inexpressible gift. Like, can I just ask you, do you see him that way? And none of us have arrived, okay? Like, I don't perfectly treasure Jesus the way that I want to. I'm far from that, but man, I want to. Like, I want him to be my greatest gift, I want him to be the object of my affection. I want to love him more than anything else. Do you want to love him like that? I mean, I've I've prayed this prayer a few times and it terrifies me every time, but I'm like, God, look, I want to love you so much. And if that means I lose my house and my car and my family and my job and everything else and I only have you, then let that be. Man, that's scary to pray. Have you ever prayed that? If you ever said, Jesus, I want you like that, and I'm scared to even say that, but Jesus, I want to treasure you like that. I want to know the overwhelming, surpassing greatness of your gift in my life. And we have to start by treasuring Jesus. He has to be our treasure so we can say, man, cars, house, who cares about this stuff? It doesn't matter. He's enough. And then after that, look, I think we have to self-evaluate. And we got to be honest here, okay? Um, we have to stop and, and pray to God. God, search me and know me because our hearts are deceitful and we try to trick ourselves and we're like, oh yeah, I'm so generous when really we're just pretending and we've gotten really good at it. And so we have to stop. We have to seek what God is doing in our hearts and allow him to push in on us and say, yeah, you know, you think you're really generous, but... But that's a subjective thing. You have to start there, though. That's between you and God. But then after that, we have to be deliberate. Okay? Um, th- this is, I love what, this is what Paul says um, earlier on. He says in, in verse 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, so you can't just feel generous and then never do anything about it. Okay, so can I just, I'm just be really honest, and maybe, you know, feel free to 
think badly of me. I am not a naturally generous person. Maybe some of you are. Maybe it just comes really easily for you. Like, I want to be generous, so I think generous thoughts all the time, but if I don't budget for that, it's not going to happen. Okay? So this is why Carrie and I, we have a budget. It's not just so that we can keep track of how much money we're making and making sure we're paying our bills. That's part of it. But it's also because we have this commitment that we want to give. And I don't want to leave that to chance of like, man, I hope I remember to write a check. No, it's in the budget. We're we're deliberate about that. Because if I'm not deliberate about it, it won't happen. And so we have to honestly evaluate ourselves, ask God to show us, and then we need to be deliberate about, okay, how much are we going to give? Let's make a plan. Let's stick to it. And then one more that, that I think is really powerful, this has been really powerful for us, is to give a little more every year. And here, here's why. Um, it's so easy to be complacent. Like you start off in one year, it's like, oh man, I'm going to give this much. And okay, God, I'm just trusting you with this. I'm going to try to be sacrificial in my giving. And so I'm going to give this much. But then over time, you get used to that. It's like, yeah, this is what I give. And it's no longer, it just becomes comfortable. And, and in the midst of that, like that money can creep back in and, and it, it wants to control our hearts. It wants to be our greatest love. And it wants us to live for today instead of eternity. And so to break that, to keep like busting out of that, we have to continually say, okay, you know what? I'm going to give a little bit more so that I can continue to lean a little bit more on Jesus. And if you do that, let me just tell you from, from personal experience, like this, this is changing the way that we see our money. And it's so important. It's so important. Um, but it all starts with Jesus. You have to treasure him first. Otherwise, the rest of this doesn't matter. Um, last thing, and then I'll, I'll let you guys go. Um, some of you may be in here this morning and you're like, man, this is, this is all great, but I'm not here. This isn't where I'm at. Um, you're just trying to live paycheck to paycheck, or maybe you just wish you had a paycheck. You're not sure how you're going to pay your next electric bill. You're not sure how you're going to pay rent. And if that's where you are this morning, um, I just want to say, listen, um, we want to be there for you. We have a compassion team that exists to, to help people in real times of crisis. And, and maybe you're like, well, you know, that all sounds good, but I don't know how to make a budget, and I don't know how to get on top of my finances, and I'm in debt with whatever. Again, we've got people who are smarter than me who will sit down with you and help you make a budget and, and start planning on how to get to a position where you can give. You get on your feet financially so that you can be part of what God is doing to be a blessing to others. So I just want to throw that out there. If that's where you're at, I don't want you to just hear us saying, give, 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 and you're like, ah, you know, that's just crushing, and and I'm not trying to crush anybody. If we can help with that, please please tell us how we can. Uh, We'd like to be part of that with you. Um, Finances can be so overwhelming. They can absolutely crush us. Um, Last passage that has to do with that. This is so, I love what Jesus says. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. See, finances, it just crushes you. You could become obsessed with it. You become worried with it. He says, for all the nations of the world, seek after these things and your Father knows what you, that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. He says, don't be worried about that stuff. Don't be worried about that stuff. And so if we can help you in some small way, come alongside you so that you don't have to be worried and you can learn to trust God with your finances, then we want to be part of that with you. But don't be like the world. Don't be like all the nations 
They're seeking all this stuff and it's got a life expectancy of like 50, 60 years. The world undervalues our money because the world thinks, man, the best use of your money is on you. The world undervalues our money when our money is meant for so much more that we can bless other people, we can bring a little bit of heaven. And that echoes forever, for eternity.